He started it last week, praise God. So blame it on him for what you hear today, because this is something that's been going on about in my heart for many years now. And it's uh, the topic that he hit on, and listen to the message if you didn't already, is the kind of the area of Christian or disciple. And the point in in America today is 87% of the people call themselves Christian. Do I have any Christians in the house today? And that's perfectly fine. I'm not here to derail that thought or that terminology, but we will hit it today and we will push what the Bible says that we're to be. And I firmly believe that America would be a stronger America if we had more disciples than Christians. Christians is a title that was given, but however, there is something that we need to learn about uh, what it takes to be a disciple. See, it's easy to come to church, and it's easy to have a Bible, and it's easy to do things. But we all here come from different backgrounds, different family growings, different things that have made you who you are today. But I don't know about you, but most of us all grew up learning how to figure out first and foremost you know, what shapes go where, right? And how they operate. And does anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't get all nervous now, because even this has come from even a third grader could do this. But what I have learned, the fact is sometimes we think we know something, but we really don't know something. Can somebody tell me? Yep. You think you know something. Something was quoted in my house yesterday, and my youngest son has this apt that will tell you if it's true or not. And it wasn't true. But it's on the news. So don't believe everything you hear on the news. Don't believe everything you hear on the news. Simply stay away from all that stuff. You know, try to be careful in how you operate. But when I was younger, you know, I didn't know why I had so much trouble of actually putting these little squares in the little square holes. And then, you know, the rounds and the round holes. And the rectangles in the rectangular holes. Anybody ever remember doing that? Sounds simple. So what did we learn as children? What were we learning here? Geometry, shapes, right? So one of the first things we learned is about shapes, and that's how we grow. We learn how to put them in the spot. But then later on when I became about 50, I realized ADHD and bipolar really messes that whole process up. So sometimes I can look at something and know that it takes this and be thinking something else and totally miss it. Y'all don't know how that thinking goes. Y'all don't understand, but join my wife's world. She'll tell you. So the whole process here is there is a difference between squares and rectangles, you know, and circles and arches that we have in the church and all those things. But, so what is the difference? A square is a quadrilateral where all four angles are right angles and all four sides are the same length. But a rectangle is a quadrilateral where all four angles are right angles. <laughs> so every square, a rectangle, but every not every rectangle is a square. Y'all know that? Oh, y'all act like y'all knew that. <laughs> But the point is, is something when we're training and teaching people, the first thing we do is we learn some simple practicals. Then when we get older, we begin to learn the truth about the process. So I wanted to bring that to understand today that there is a difference between Christianity and there's a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. 
However, most people will argue with you about this fact. They will say that, no, they're both one and the same. And in reality, we just need to understand. I ask today, are you a square or a rectangle? And in the Word of God and from our lectionary reading today, we're going to be starting in Matthew 9. Turn there, Matthew 9, 35. And we're going to see how Jesus brought all this about. And I like it because if you're going to learn how to be a disciple, where do you think the best place to get that from? I'll just give you a hint. Oh, the reason why mine is so thick, because see, when I take my glasses off, I, can't, I got to read the big print. <laughs> Praise God. So I want to make sure I get every bit I can. So if you're in Matthew 9.35, instead of reading the whole scripture now, I'm going to break it down verse by verse so we can understand. Know this, that Jesus already has been baptized. Jesus and Matthew, the story is already told. Jesus goes out and begins to get his disciples and rounds them up. And during this time, after four of the desert and defeating the enemy, the Satan, he then goes on a roll and he's preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Oh, we love that stuff. You know, if you got a little bit of charismatic in you a little bit, you love that stuff. Yeah, praise God. Teaching, preaching, healing. He just went all about doing that. Sounds exciting, don't it? How many like to be able to do that? I've been in the mission field before. I've been involved in that kind of ministry. It's exciting. It's exciting. But everywhere I went, I never got persecuted. <laughs> I never got put in jail. In America, you don't get persecuted very often. And none of you have probably been to jail. Yet. Matthew 9, 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. Let's just start off right there. Now I could get in a whole sermon and, and break down when Jesus was preaching in the villages and when Jesus was preaching in the cities. I'll just give you a little hint and I could go off on a whole sermon rant on this one. He caught a lot of flack when he got to the city. I'm just saying. The Pharisees and Sadducees was really tough on him when he went to the cities. But in the villages they were hungry. They were looking for something. They wanted the gospel. And so they received it with great ease. I like that because he went what? He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He didn't necessarily come around preaching and everywhere you go, preaching my wonderful name, Jesus, and who I am, and I'm the great healer. I'm the Messiah. I'm awesome. I'm here to let you see me. No, he was preaching kingdom. So you live in a democracy. <laughs> it's hard for you to understand kingdom. But we can change. Amen? Amen? So this is great. But then this part comes. When Jesus saw, underline that word Saul, if you write in your Bibles like I do, and the crowds and had compassion for them because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I like this because the very first word comes from the Greek word, which really comes from a Hebrew word, which in this context, when he saw them, not necessarily seeing with his eyes, it means an intimate word. When he saw them, he intimately saw relation, intimate relation with them and felt their hurt and their pain. 
Come on, somebody. How compassionate are you? When you see something going on, are you compassionate? The other word, the word compassion, comes from the basic root word, bowels. Yeah, we're in church talking about bowels this morning. But imagine that. He was hit to the core intimately. It's almost like he could just look at you and he read your pain and your sorrow. And as he read it, he had a deep pain within his bowels. His innermost being was the compassion of your pain and your suffering. That's our Jesus. So what does he do? He doesn't just walk by. He was moved with that compassion. Moving is something that we as Christians don't like doing. We like to build the building, get it nice and pretty, come and sit and stay. Boy, that went over real good. Because they were harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And let me remind you, he's still looking at the Jews. He's dealing with the house of Israel at this time. And this is the area he is in. Then he says to his disciples, I like this, and most all of you Christians know this one. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. The remodeling of this church is hard and tough, but the labors are few. Amen. Isn't that something? Now I'm going to show you one of the most fastest, quickest answered prayers in Scripture. What does he say then? Therefore... Pray, or your translation may say, ask the Lord for the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is saying, pray for the harvest. Pray for the laborers. And immediately that prayer gets answered because in verse 10 it says, then Jesus summons <laughs> the twelve. It got answered right there. Jesus said, I'll fix this. I'm going to call my disciples. <laughs> Hmm. That's something there. Now, I wore a badge today. How many of you noticed my badge while you're sitting out there? Yeah. You've kind of been wondering, wondering what that is. Well, I came with authority today. Let me just tell you, I have authority. And I came with a badge to let you know that. Just like Barney Five. Let me let you know, buddy, I work for the... <laughs> So this one gets me every time. His disciples, and he gave them what? Authority. Give them authority to do what? Over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to cure every disease and every sickness. Mm, that's strong. What if I had that authority today, and I could just simply give you that authority, and you walk out of here today casting out devils, curing the sick? Come on, church. That's powerful. And Jesus had that authority and he gave it to them. How about you? I bet you they was excited. They're like, oh yeah, we've been watching Jesus do this for so long. Man, we finally get to do this. Oh, I'm going straight to my neighbor. I know he's got a devil. I'm going to cast him out. I just know it. <laughs> Whew. Summons means authority or urgently or call to someone and especially for a defendant in a court case. Anybody ever been summoned at your house? Nobody wants to raise their hand when I ask that question. I don't know why. It's, just, it's okay. You know. I've been in jail before, so so what? You know, it's like, you, yeah. 
But think about that. The summings is a very important document. And today some lucky member in the church here is going to get their summons. And in this summons is going to be exactly what we've discussed today. And you're going to read it and you're going to tell me if you want to take this on or not. Because this is what we're talking about today. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Jesus said He called and summoned His Christians. No, no, no. Jesus summoned His disciples. <laughs> Woo, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. Man, that's awesome right there. In the environment we live today, with the tensions going on, and the things that are happening in our culture, we must understand we have authority in Christ Jesus. We have authority to do things, to be Christ ambassadors, to be disciples in this time of chaos, and bring love and light and salt to the world, and not insult and injury, and not our opinions and our political views. No! We don't deal with politics. We deal with the kingdom. Amen. For the kingdom always overrules the politics, the government. Always trumps. Not that Trump, but trumps. <laughs> in that sense, because the Bible's ultimate authority. In America today, we've had constitutional changes in our <laughs> constitution to satisfy the self of people but it's not according to the Word of God. I firmly believe out of the nine plagues or seven plagues of the Old Testament, they're all related to disobedience. Many of them are, are related to different plagues of diseases and sicknesses. Read them out yourself. But don't think just because it happened in the Old Testament, it won't happen to us. We live in the New Testament, an age of grace and mercy. Eh, not America. Praise God. We got more churches than any place around the world. Can't happen to us. A microbe you cannot see shut this country down and ran Christians out of the church and not to go out and preach and lay hands on the sick and cure the sick. But dear God, I'm, if I'm going in there, I better get my hand sanitized. Praise God. Disease germs might get on me. What did we do? Did we carol down? Don't you carol down next time. We'll do this differently next time, church. We're going to be the light to the world. Jesus touched the leopard and didn't die. Jesus cast out devils that tried to scream and yell at him and cause him heartache on his trails. Jesus was that thing that you and I serve and he lives in us today, but we don't show it. We were placed in a mandate like restaurants. You all got a crowd of people, more than 30 people, you, gotta, you just can't meet and get together. Wait a minute, we're believers. We're Christ, the blood of Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Where was the church saying, praise God, we'll meet and no disease will come upon us. And if it does, then we'll pray it out right now. Amen. Yes. I'm just asking the question. I'm challenging me too. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> don't believe everything you read, don't read everything you believe. And when it comes on, I like this because Matthew actually goes now and names all 12. And I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is show you that if you did a biography of these 12 men, you researched their lives and the regions that they were from, they were totally different people in every way. Careers, upbringings, religious, 
even though they some had the same title background, I'm just going to focus on two. But see, today the church is segmented in such a way you've got the Pentecostals, you've got the Catholics, you had the Episcopals, you had the Baptists. We're so separated that we should be one. But Christ took these 12 misfits. Let me just give you an example. I like this because Simon Peter, the rock of the church, screwed up so many times. Can I say that word, screwed up? Yeah, screwed up so many times and messed up and denied Jesus Christ himself is still on the list. And not only is he on the list, but here's how it's stated. Now these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, <laughs> first, you know, during the ministry, maybe they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be first. Well, lo and behold, the one that messed up the most, <laughs> he's labeled first. First would be last and the last would be first. But the point here that I wanted to make was I'm not going to go through the whole dialogue, but you take Simon and you take a guy named Matthew and you understand that Matthew was a tax collector, a Jew, who was a traitor according to the Jews. If you were a tax collector and you were a traitor because the tax collectors actually harsher penalties were put on the Jewish people and they were under oppression, under the taxation, and Matthew was that guy. And Simon knew he was a sellout. But now they're working together. You go tell me how that works. Them two wouldn't have been together for anything in the world. But when God called them, brought them into a place, didn't share the business model or the business plan, God, Jesus shared with them the mission. See why churches are dying left and right. We've lost the mission. We're not about a business model. We're not about church growth. We're not about how many. We're about what is the mission. And that's where we've messed up. Where the world says today, how to grow a church to be 1,200 in one year. Yep, I like to equate it like this. Even Jesus equated us as being sheep and he's the shepherd. If you've ever been at a sheep pasture very long and you're walking around with sheep, there's a lot of sheep dung. And the more people you got, the more dung you got. Not necessarily the more disciples you got, but you got a lot of stuff. So it's not about people. So let's just first and foremost just thank God that He could take two people just totally, just totally against one another in thought and process. Let's just go ahead and say it was a Democrat and a Republican that came together. And they worked together in ministry because they knew the mission. It wasn't about what they fully believed in. They believed in something bigger than themselves. Where's the church today when that happens? And as he lists them all, after he gave the names, verse 5, 10, 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Okay? He already told them, wait a minute, they're all excited. <laughs> They're like dogs, man, ready to go. We get to cast out the devils and heal the sick. Praise God, this is good! And then he goes, let me give you some instructions first. And what is the instruction first to do? It's what not to do. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like people to tell me what's the don't do thing first. <laughs> I happen to work with Nolan Services during the week, and the rule of thumb in that company is First, do not tear up the equipment. 
I like that. Yes. <laughs> Even though OSHA would probably like, safety first. You can't have an accident when all your equipment's broke. So the first instruction is, let me tell you what not to do when you get going. Don't, don't do this. The first thing is don't do <laughs> My dad and my brother's here today. Glory to God. And he'll understand this. My dad would carry me fishing. And he said, now we're fishing, son. You're in the back now. Now here's all you do. Now don't get hung up in the trees. He said, well, don't get hung up in the trees because when I'm fishing, I don't like to have to stop and back up. So don't get hung, caught in the trees. What was the first thing I did as a 10-year-old? I caught in the trees. But he set me up because he knew I was going to get caught in the trees. <laughs> so, so you have to ask yourself, all right, that rule is really not very good unless I'm going to fish out in the middle and he's going to fish in the side and catch all the fish. And that's the way he wanted it. Doesn't matter if you were a son, a nephew, or whatever. He's going to beat you fishing. And he ain't about teaching you how to fish. Just don't get hung up. Anybody, y'all got some family members like that? <laughs> so at first he says, do not go anywhere where the Gentiles are and enter no town where the Samaritans are. I don't know, but I sense a little racism here. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, God come in flesh, comes down, has his own little group of 12, puts them on a mission and says, first, don't go there. And don't go there. I don't know about you, but I mean, that bothers me. But at the same time, Jesus came to bring a message to his people. And he had to do that, and his first mission was that he was to do this and to let the people know, even though they've already killed him and hung him out to dry, he came back to life, they still hadn't believed him, but he said, I'm not giving up on the people. So he said, you just focus on one thing, okay? So go nowhere among those Gentiles. Go nowhere or no town with the Samaritans. <laughs> but rather, say but rather. <laughs> but rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So his mission was clear. Jesus knew what he had to do. But in a sense, I always thought, well, that's kind of what Paul was for. He came out for the Gentiles. Most of the disciples got it to Cornelius and the Gentiles and the rest of the world got it. But at this point in time, this is Jesus saying to his own people that did him so wrong, I'm not giving up on you. Somebody say, please don't give up on me. I mean, think about this. This is powerful. The very people that treat you the worst, you want to kill or shoot or whatever. No. Pray for them. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not moved by what I see or what I hear, but, but rather go to the house of Israel. And he said, now as you go and proclaim the good news, the good news of what? The kingdom of heaven has come near you. I want you to tell them that I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll see the kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I wanted to bring a big old hand today and just wave it at you. Because see, at hand means Jesus saying, I'm here and I'm touchable. I, I, I'm at hand. I'm not just a figure, but I'm here to touch you. 
A handshake is a power of a, a firm agreement. A hug is as a way of, of consoling one another, sharing one another. A power of the touch. And what did the coronavirus do? To, it made us stop touching one another. It made us pull apart. But Jesus made it clear that I got to do it this way. And it is kind of a repeat from 10.1, right? Proclaim the good news. He didn't say, go on and preach whatever sermon you want. Don't go out there and start preaching on healing. Don't go out there and start preaching on forgiveness. Don't go out there and preach on the Ten Commandments. No, you're going to go out there and proclaim. You don't preach nothing. You just proclaim. Come on. He didn't give them the teaching ability. Notice that. Jesus did all the preaching, teaching, and healing. He didn't give them the teaching ministry yet. <laughs> Why? Because they're still young. They got to go out here and experience what Jesus did. He's teaching them a lesson. He's sending them out. He's putting them out there. He's giving them a little test. Go, 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 go. So it's basically the same as 10-1. Cure the sick, raise the dead. Wait a minute. I think raise the dead is added from 10-1. It is. Cure everything. But now he's telling them to raise the dead. Now, if you got this summons already, you were excited about laying hands on the sick, casting out devils. But now what would you do when he told you in line three, raise the dead? <laughs> uh, 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 I don't know about that one. Huh. Now, as you go, you'll receive no payment and you'll give without payment. What he's saying is, you're going to go, little evangelist, like I go. I've had ministers tell me, Pastor, I'd love to come preach at your church. I'll be in the Myrtle Beach area in July. Um, what date is good for you? I said, I'm not sure. I'll look at it. Well, I just require my airfare, and I require that I have a hotel stay, and I require a love offering as well. I said, well, uh, I'll probably get back with you probably after the rapture. <laughs> I love some people. I've had ministers that are very well known and write books and all that and tell me, I'm just coming for you. Amen. I mean, how much faith is it to know that you're going to preach around the world, but you ain't got to pay nothing? I'm just saying. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't take me wrong. It's okay to raise money and do what you need to do. But he tells them no gold, no silver, no copper in your belts. He said, as you go, you're not going to take a dime with you, basically. You're not taking the largest coin, the middle coin, or the lowest coin with you. You will have no bag for your journey, two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. The culture in that day is whenever you read any parables in the New Testament where it had something to do with labor and hire, it's just known then that when you hired someone to work with you for three days, you would put them up and you would feed them three meals a day and give them all the water they needed to drink. Wasn't even required that you sign a contract or you get a per diem or whatever. No, no, it was known in the culture, if you work for me for a day's wage, I'll also feed you today. So he's saying, don't ask for nothing, but go out and here's how it's going to happen as a disciple. Go out there, but don't take two tunics, not even sandals, <laughs> staff, 
but you'll get your own food from where you go. Whenever you enter a town or a village you enter, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. I like to say the Double Tree Inn is worthy to me. <laughs> First thing you do when you check in, you get a warm chocolate chip cookie. Praise God. I'm getting into flesh now. I've got to stop. Oh. But anyway, notice how this reads. So they're going to have to go house to house. And that's how people did back in the day. Look at Elijah and all the ministers in the Old Testament. When they would travel around, they would stay in the upper room of people's homes. And um, that's how it works. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. If you go and minister and say, look, I'm here talking about Jesus. You want to hear? Yeah, sure. Come on in. Then they're going to invite you in and they're going to feed you, take care of you. But if there's anybody Jesus said, now listen, this sounds a little cold, doesn't it? That Jesus would actually say, if they don't receive you, then... If they don't welcome you, shake off the dust of your feet as you leave that house or town. Jesus said, for those that don't want to hear the gospel or the good news of the kingdom, it is better for them or it's going to be as those of Sodom and Gomorrah when they left that town and you, they don't invite you in. You just absolutely shake the dust off your feet and keep on going. You don't say, you don't know who I am. You don't know who I represent. I represent Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. But no, he's saying if they don't listen to you, you don't have time for them. Some of us are witnessing the people that just won't listen, don't want to listen, don't want to know, and you're wasting your time. Shake it off and say, I'm moving on. He said it'd be more tolerable than the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town or that home. Ooh. Those that reject Jesus, it's going to be worse for them. So you don't have to retaliate. You don't have to do anything. God said, I'll do that. You just preach and proclaim the gospel. I'll do the rest. Go where you wanted, leave where you're not. Truly, I tell you, it would be more tolerable. And everybody knows what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. <sighs> the mandate of this summons is right now getting really heavy. Number one, you got no money. Number two, you're traveling around going house to house. Number three, if you don't get a place to stay and they don't welcome you, you got to shake the dust and keep on moving. And now you're at a place now where it says, what? What? I'm sending you out, Jesus said, as sheep among wolves. Does anybody want to know what the ratio of that and how that's going to turn out? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So be wise as a serpent and innocent as doves. This mandate and this summons that Jesus has given the disciples is a tough one right now. And I don't know about you, but it would be hard and just hard for you to even swallow. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in their synagogues. They're going to flog you too, you realize. <laughs> in the name of God, they're going to beat you and cause havoc. And you will be dragged before the governors and the kings because of me and a testimony to them and the Gentiles. He's saying, while you're being handed over to the councils, 
why the government pulls you up front, why they try to make a mockery of you, talking about that Jesus. We told you not to say that Jesus. We told you, you can't be preaching Jesus here. We're going to lock you up. But it says here that as a testimony to them, <laughs> the reason this is going to happen, normally I wouldn't be able to get my word to the council or the governors or the government or the senate or the house, but because you're going to be brought in, it's going to be a testimony. And when they hand you over, don't worry about what you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. So what you want to say when they're putting you in jail, what you'd like to do and say might be totally contrary. But Jesus is telling his disciples, just as years ago there was a man named Moses, and Moses said, Lord, I don't speak very well. I, th 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 I, got a th 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 I, I don't talk very good. good, good, good. And, and you're telling me to go to f f Pharaoh? Yes. And the Lord said, go. I'll get Aaron to speak for you. I got you. Just go do what I ask you to do. I'll give you what you need. You'll find out Aaron not once had to speak for him. Moses boldly stood up and spoke every time. But isn't it something? God's going to send you in a tough place, but he's going to say, don't worry about it. Don't write you a little letter. Don't say what you need to say, because at the appropriate time, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Boy, that's the way to go to court right there. Put me on the stand. Praise God. Ask me anything, God. I got this, because I ain't got this. That's why I got this. I feel good about having this because I ain't got this. What was the question again? <laughs> Holy Spirit, did you hear that? Oh, okay. Yeah, the Lord said that he loves you very much and that he wishes you would come into the kingdom. Flog him. <laughs> when you're working for God, he always supplies at the appointed time. Say appointed time. See, we already try to think in advance why not to do something. And that's why Christians aren't disciples because we don't go all the way to do something because we're scared of what we might happen and what we're going to do when it happens. When God told his disciples, don't worry about that. I have the Holy Spirit give you what to say. Don't worry about getting flogged. I got you. For it is not for who speaks, but it's the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Man, that is so powerful. Many times we go places and do things, and, and, and we actually, you know, minister at places. I've had people cuss me out when we were with Chariots of Light. We were ministering and have a tent, and we set up for a lot of rough-looking motorcycle groups. Beards down to here, tattoos on every arm, all over the face. And you start telling them about Jesus. And they constantly, they just flat out will tell you some words like, get the, <laughs> but I didn't say that. And it's, it's, it's demoralizing sometimes to get 22 no's, in the, but when you finally get one yes. Mm. Witnessing comes alive, because Jesus didn't say you were going to get them all. Matter of fact, most places where Paul went, it said some heard, received, some heard, and did not. You just shake the dust off your feet and keep moving. But he says, brother will portray brother to death and father his child and children rise against parents and have them put to death. <laughs> Sounds like the world we're living in today. Brothers against brothers, sisters against sisters. This is what Jesus does to families. It's horrible. 
Most cultures, the Muslim culture and some other places around the world, and I read a lot of articles about the torture and the pain and the suffering of, of Christians that are, have converted from Islam to Christianity. Their parents disown them. They have killed them, beat them. It is totally a realistic way that you might as well go ahead and say in America that it is coming here too. They want to keep you shut, your mouth shut. But I'm not going to stop speaking. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Golly, Jesus didn't say the majority. This has really got me. I don't know, is my quotation wrong? Or is, how does y'all read? Y'all, y'all, y'all there? Verse 22, what, does yours say because of my name? Hated by who? I don't want to be hated by all. I'm the preacher. I want to be liked. I want people to like the preacher. For years I used to preach and want people to like me. I want people to come up to me and say, oh, good word, pastor. That's so good. Oh, you're a blessing. Until one guy left the church one time because I quoted a well-known scripture that said, only those who endure to the end. And I made a statement, not knowing whether it was true or not. I just said, well, that pretty much takes away the once saved, always saved mentality. Doesn't mean that you're going to make it, but the Bible is clear about saying those who endure to the end. You might sell out at the end, but just because you made a confession of faith to be saved in 1942 and you didn't serve God until you died, I'm just saying. I, but I'm not a judge for that. But the funny thing is the guy left. I mean, he just left the church, praise God. And I tried to woo him back, you know, and get him. Oh, Lord God, I ran somebody off. Oh, God. But I've run people off a whole lot less than that. (laughs) Are you with me? When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, Unlike some of the other missionary projects that Jesus sent people out on, you remember the 70, he sent them out two by two. They came back with reports of what happened. In the New Testament, when the disciples went out and ministered and came back and met together, they have reports of what happened. But I believe this is just a simple summons to the very first disciples that Jesus had to give them an idea that this is not easy. This is not, get saved, praise God. I got life in heaven. Woo, I'm not going to go to hell. I just love my life. I'm a Christian. Man, life is good. But I think the Protestant move in America for the last 50 years have focused too much on repenting, salvation, and not enough on declaring and becoming what the Bible says, make disciples. So we have a lot of shallow people in America that have no clue of what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. Simply because in America, we were basically started off as a Christian nation. We build churches, we put air conditioning in them. We have beautiful windows where you can stare and gaze out and just ignore me. And you can just do whatever you want. And yet we don't make disciples. I've been challenged in the last few years about where to go, how to do it, and when and why. So my goal now is not always, and my evangelism 
is to win souls and lead people to the Lord. But even Billy Graham said before he died, he said that of all the millions that have come and to be converts to Christ, less than a percent are even doing the things of God. So conversion is great, but what is really great is getting to that place where you know being a disciple for Christ. But sometimes we look at these things these people do, these disciples in this book, and we surely kind of separate ourselves from them and us. The reality is each one of you can do it. The reality is that we live in America. The reality is freedom has gone to our heads. The reality is that we're too, too comfortable. The reality is we have compromised. The reality is that we don't truly live according to the disciple model. That's why if I said to you, word search, close your eyes, all of you, and I want you to picture this word, a crossfitter, a NASCAR racer, a ballerina, Academy Award actor, a Christian. Just put that in your thought. You ever met somebody, talked with them for a while, and it was only till about two hours later, I found out they was a Christian. Only in word, only, but not deed. America's corrupting from the inside. It's not Iran, it's not Russia. That's taking us down with missiles that shut our restaurants, our bars, shut all the churches down. It was a microbe you could not see that placed fear into our hearts that caused us to shut our lives down. Hmm, there's something about that. Something you can't see hurts you. Then I say there's something you can't see that can surely help you. But we have to take that journey. And I believe my son Michael was probably well fit to begin this process. He stirred me up in his teaching, and I'm always admired by his study and his learning lately. And he just stirs me up as an old goat trying to, you know, stick to the old things of life. But I know I need to study to be approved. I know that we need to make disciples. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't it be awesome to go to heaven? And Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful disciple." Well, nah, Chris, Christian, yeah, Christian, um, you need to go in room four for a little bit. We'll, we'll go through this. <laughs> None of that was scripture, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. It sounded good. <laughs> so the question is what sometimes we think we know being a Christian or being a disciple. But what I have learned is Michael, if you'd come up here, sir, I would like to summon you some paperwork. I am at Michael Livingston's house. Yep, if you open that and just read the highlighted areas is what we discussed today, um, you're summonsed. Can I get this turn on, please? Check, test, test. 
All right, you're summonsed. What is it? Okay. First, the cost of being arrested by authorities. Verses 16 through 18. Behold, I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, just, just read the highlighted areas. Oh, just, uh, yeah, just, not the, oh, yeah. Details, so. Yeah, we pretty much gave, we pretty much gave him that, yeah. The lawyer in me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, so first, the cost of being arrested by the authorities. Nobody wants that. Okay. Two, the cost of family betrayal. Mm, nobody wants that. Three, the cost of being hated by all. Mm, nobody wants that. Four, the cost of being persecuted and driven out of town. Mm. Five, the cost of being maligned. Mm. Six, the cost of being killed. Wow. And as we take just these six things, I think they came from John Piper. If you take this whole sermon, all that, we don't celebrate any of that in the democracy of America. That's not what we get. We have a constitutional right not to be persecuted. We have a constitutional right not to be hated. We have a constitutional right that protects us from all of that. But what if those rights were taken away from you? What's going to happen next? What I'm saying is, church... That's why there's more Christians than disciples, because disciples have to pay the ultimate cost. But because we don't have enough disciples in America to stand up and bring that light, then we've just got a bunch of carnal Christians. That's how I got saved at 10 years at Ocean View Baptist Church, read the Word the night before, went up, the preacher preached the two sermons that I read the night before, and I knew that this was God. And at 10 years old, I ran to the altar, gave my life to God. And I remember the preacher, love him to this day, he's still alive. He said one comment, oh, so you want to join the church. But that was the Baptist way. Okay, so I came to join the church. But yeah, I gave my life to Christ. It was a few weeks after that, I'll never forget seeing people that were in that church that were living in the world in such a way that I thought, as a young man, well, if they could do that, I can do that. I'm saved. And I did. And it literally took my life. It almost took my life to think I could live for the world and live for God at the same time. Yes. And I've messed up a lot in my life, and I think that's why God loves me so much more than you all. Because <laughs> He's got to love me more, all the mistakes I made. But what I have learned is I would never learn those mistakes if I hadn't made the mistakes. I'd never learn. I never learned from feast. I always learned from famine. And it's in that famine in our lives that we must come out of this coronavirus and say, no, I don't want to go back to be normal. I don't want the church to be normal. I want the church to be strong and solid. Believe what you believe. Say what you say. Do what you say that the Word of God says. Let's be Christians, but let's say I'm a Christian. But yes, I'm also a disciple of Christ. Because then they'll get that, well, what, what does that mean? <laughs> Let me take you to Matthew 9. Stand to your feet this morning. Thank you, Father.